0: Good morning, church. Amen. Today's message is titled, His Days Are Numbered. His Days Are Numbered. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9 this morning. When we think about titles like this, or passages like this, Especially a title like this, that actually is a reference to the number of Jesus' days. When we think about titles like this, we immediately, I don't know about you, but I immediately think about His last days. I think about that, that time that He spent among us after His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's normally where my mind goes when I think about His last days. What we're going to do today, however, is we're going to take a sneak peek into some of his activities prior to entering Jerusalem. And the reason why is because I want to discover as a church what motivated Jesus Christ the most, oftentimes because of the way society is designed today, because of The way we are nowadays in society, and I mean that as a generalization, I don't mean that as a church, but society, the way society is, generally speaking, we have often overlooked some of the most important elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we're actually going to take a look at what I consider to be one of His most important elements. We're going to mention that in a few moments, but look to me, look with me, Luke chapter 13. One through nine. You have it? Say amen. You guys are sharp. I can't get anything past you. i tell you. There were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, but I tell you, Unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered them, sir, let it alone alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity. Father, you know I never take for granted the liberty that you give to us as a body, as a community of believers, to actually file into this place corporately like this to study the Word of God. I am appreciative of the liberty that we have in society to still be able to gather like this. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit you may bless us as a congregation. Father, we need to hear from You. Please speak into our lives. Please speak into our hearts. Speak truth into us, Father. And bring about this growth and this development that we all desire to experience in You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. The title is, His Days are And the reason why I titled it that, is because it's based on the idea of part of Jesus Christ's ministry during His last days among us as mankind. The theologians refer to it as His Perean-Judean ministry. And we don't have the time to get into it today. I wish we did. I would love to. Perhaps one day in the Bible study. But if you consider in your Bible from Luke chapter 19 beginning with verse 51. You don't have to turn there. Luke 9 verse 50, 51 through chapter 19, verse 29, they reflect Jesus Christ's last three months on earth. They were, this was a very pivotal time for Jesus Christ. Because when, if you read... How, in fact, let me ask, how many read the book of Luke again? Uh, again, some of you are like, really? Why do we have to read it again? How many of you discovered brand new wonderful things By reading it a second time. Amen. So so did I. That's the beauty of the Word of God. When you read it over and over again, God is always going to speak new life into you. Why? Because the Word of God is active and alive. Hebrews 4.12. It possesses inherent life. So this passage today, um, as well as the title, is based on Jesus Christ's last three months... Among us, it's his three months before he actually enters Jerusalem. It's everything, Luke nine fifty one through nineteen twenty nine, everything that transpires in his ministry through the Judean um, Parian per- region. In other words, Jesus took the time; he left the comfort of Capernaum and some of those other areas where he m- spent a lot of time, in. and he actually went back and forth over the river jordan preaching the word of god this act this this passage or this this segment of his ministry did you know maybe some of you probably know this that jesus christ at least with regard to what is recorded there are only four miracles recorded in scripture during his perian judean ministry his last three months of ministry among us I'm a firm believer that every child of God has to thoroughly understand one thing about Jesus Christ and his last three months among us. There are a lot of things, let's face it, a lot of things that Jesus Christ emphasized. We know why Jesus Christ came, right? How many know why Jesus came? The Bible says in passages like Matthew eighteen eleven that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save That which was lost. So we know that he came with purpose, with intent, and that he actually came to die on an old rugged cross. Why? Because he loves us that much. But how many know that he emphasized things other than the things that we often hear about with salvation or the love of God and things of that nature? We read in this one particular passage one thing that I'm going to refer to in a few moments. But look look with me to. Um, chapter 9, look with me to chapter 9, we're going to read just three verses in chapter 9, because I want to lay this out as best I can. This one thing that motive, really, really motivated Jesus Christ. Are you there? Say Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 9, look with me to verse 51 and we're going to read through verse 53. Luke 9, 51 through 53. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. They did not receive him. Now, I've looked, I've looked at a lot of resources, I've read a lot of passages uh, this past week, a lot of authors. Just to try to wrap my mind around this setting right here, the time frame, if you will. And every single theologian whose work I read from is, is on the same page that this actually took place three months prior to Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem. Three months prior He's making preparation. He changes His focus. He stops His miracle campaign almost entirely, if you will, at least with regard to what we have recorded in Scripture. We know according to the Word of God that He performed so many miracles that the books on the earth would not contain all of them. That's what the Bible teaches, right? But at least in terms of what's recorded, we only read of four miracles. Why is that? It's because Jesus placed a premium emphasis on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God more than anything else. He ramped His campaign up, and He began to preach a particular message. What was that message? We read it right here in this one particular passage. Luke chapter 13, twice in this one particular passage, Jesus Christ says, But unless you... Unless you you will all likewise perish. The miracles served their purpose for three years. This is just the final three months of his ministry. For three years, Jesus Christ was going up and down Judea, Samaria, and the entire region we know to be the land of Israel. And for three years, he succeeded in drawing the masses to him. Everybody came with all sorts of motivations to him. Some wanted, expected Him to free them from the yoke of bondage from the Romans. Others just simply wanted a hot meal or something to drink or some miracle. Everybody came, but not everybody came with a a sound motive. For three years, Jesus performed miracles to draw the masses to Him. For three years, for the most part, He was rejected as the Son of God, whom He claimed to be. For three years. Now he changes gears. He switches gears, if you will. He ramps up his campaign because he's about to be crucified and he wants to make sure that everybody truly understands the reason for which he came to offer salvation to mankind. Isn't it enough to just simply believe in God in order to be saved? That's what so many people believe. That's what a lot of cultures around us would have us believe. The reality is, it's not enough to declare, I believe in the God of heaven. I believe in the God of the Bible. Is that enough to get me saved? In no way, shape, or form. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so I believe that because of the society that we live in, just think, just consider society for a few moments. And the way that it's made up, if you will, this postmodernistic philosophy that society is living by today. Relativism subjectivism etc 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 all these ideologies that are that are pushing mankind further and further away from the things that pertain to god especially further and further away from what we know to be true from the word of god the bible says and it has jesus christ repeating the simple truth the fundamental truth i hate these things it, 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 the Bible throughout the entire Bible, from cover to cover, it repeats this idea that somehow when we believe in the Almighty God, the God who has created us, change has to take place in our lives. We know it today from the New Testament perspective to be repentance. What does repentance mean? Some people may say, well, you gotta turn around. Well, yeah. In in short, but there's more to it than that. It has to do with, with reconstituting ourselves on a fundamental level. It's not just simply about believing, because that's never been enough to allow us to experience salvation. Just simply believing has never been enough. And we find that in the book of James, where it says that even the demons believe and they tremble, but it does them no good. It's a paraphrase. We have to turn our lives around in order to experience salvation. Now I know I know that in this church I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you guys know this, right? But somehow some way we have to we have to strap up, right? We have to tighten up our belts and our laces and we have to sort of hold back the forces if you will of this world because they're beating down the church walls. Maybe not so much in this church, because we're a conservative church, right? But there are churches in the land that have completely and totally adopted the philosophies that exist outside the walls of the church. And so when you find yourself in a setting like that, it's, it's like there's something missing. I don't know about you, but in, I, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ long ago. Fundamental transformation, because somebody took the time to emphasize to me the need to turn my heart over to God. He says, Young Buck is not enough to just simply believe in God. you got to give Him your heart. You have to give Him your life because that is what He expects. And in this passage, as I stated already, twice Jesus Christ referred to this idea. Did you know that repentance is the one element perhaps closest to the heart of the Gospel, yet it is the element least Discoverable in the church today. I'm going to read that again. Did you know that repentance is the one element perhaps closest to the heart of the gospel, yet it is the element least discoverable in the church today. We all have difficulty with it. We all have difficulty with applying this thing called repentance to our lives. Especially those of us who have been a part of the church for a very long time. We get a little comfortable and we think that just because we're saved, everything is all right. Nothing else is expected from us. And yet, I don't know about you, we talked about this once before here on a Sunday morning. My stability hinges upon my repentance towards God, my devotion. That's why we came up with the theme that we did for this year. To serve the Lord. John 4.24, in spirit and in truth. He is worthy of it. Consider this. Did you know that at least 7 out of 10 in society today are governed by ideals like relativism. At least 7 out of 10. No matter who you run into out there, chances are they're living by relativism or subjectivism. Or some other philosophy like that. That's rooted in the secular humanist manifesto. How many ever taken the time to read secular humanist manifesto? Listen, Google it this afternoon when you get an opportunity. And read it. So that you can learn what our universities and what our high schools are teaching our children. So that you can learn what people are living by in society today. It's a reality. It's a model that, that, that our teachers, our professors are giving or teaching our are are young people today and they're believing it that's why atheism is on the rise between 450 to 500 million atheists and agnostics live on the planet today according to a pew research study conducted in 2017 450 to 500 million atheists and agnostics that's seven percent Of the world's population today. 7% refuse to believe in the God of the Bible. I don't know about you, but 1% is too much. Much less 7%. And I truly believe, call me conservative, call me ultra-conservative. I believe that as a child of God, or rather as children of God, if you and I stepped up our game, we can make a difference in the world today. Amen, somebody. I know I'm by myself on that one. How about you, Ron? You with me? Listen, we, we had two days of wonderful outreach this week, yesterday and Friday. we ju- All we did, we didn't do anything special. We just showed up. We just showed up. Light casts out darkness. Light will always cast out darkness. All we have to do is just show up. Show up at somebody's house. Just show up at somebody's house, especially when they're struggling. Especially when there's an illness, when there's some measure of brokenness in their life. Just show up at somebody's house and you're going to make the difference. Sometimes words are not even required. Amen, somebody. Sometimes words are not even required. So what was Jesus Christ's response? Let, let's, let's consider this passage for a moment before we look at a couple points. I'm, going, I'm slicing, you forgive me. I'm slicing and dicing because of time. Okay? But I want to consider this passage. Luke chapter 13 is a special passage. Because the first thing we read about in this passage is that the people that were around Jesus Christ during that time, they, they raised up two issues. It seems as if in verse 1 they raised up one issue. But there was more to the conversation than that. Because Jesus Christ in verse 3 and 4 and 5, He alludes to the second issue. The second issue being a tower in Siloam that fell and killed 18 people. And perhaps the reason why they didn't mention it, at least the reason why perhaps Luke didn't put those words in the mouths of the people that showed up, is because maybe the issue with regard to um, all those other people that, that died, the Galileans that died at the hands of Pilate. Maybe that was just more important to them. But they came to Jesus Christ, consider the setting. And they wanted to take up issue in a sense, with Jesus Christ concerning what Pilate had done. We don't have too much history about that. The only thing we have that we can look to, I'm going to read something to you from Josephus Flavius Josephus. He was a historian that was alive during the times when, the, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they took the time to write the Gospel, which is 30, 40 years after Jesus Christ passed away. Josephus says, the Galileans were the most seditious people in the land. They belonged properly to Herod's jurisdiction, but as they kept the great feast at Jerusalem, they probably... You see, so there's speculation here. They probably, by their tumultuous behavior, at some one of them, gave Pilate, who was a mortal enemy to Herod, a pretext to fall upon and slay many of them. And thus, perhaps... Sacrificed the people to the resentment he had against the prince. Furthermore, there's another quote that I pulled up. Herod Archelaus is represented by Josephus as sending his soldiers into the temple and slaying 3,000 men while they were employed in offering sacrifices. A lot of people died this one particular day. And they brought this issue up to Jesus Christ. And because of this issue, because of philosophy and the way that it existed back then, much like the way that it it exists in society today, we say something today, somebody perpetuates it tomorrow, and the following day an entire community, an entire generation has adopted it in their lives, a standard by which they live from. That's the hazard of philosophy. And during that day... In fact, during this one particular conversation, Jesus Christ was trying to refute something they were believing in. That is, there were classes of people. And these people believed that, that the people who died at the hands of Pilate, as well as the 18 who died by the tower that fell upon them, that they were somehow more sinful than everybody else. And Jesus Christ refuted that right away, without mincing any words. Guess what? We are all Sinners, we all have to lay down our hypocrisy, and we all have to repent of our sins. That's the fundamental truth that the Bible teaches us. Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no such thing as a class of people in the eyes of God. We are all the same. Galatians chapter 2, I believe it is. There is no male, no female, bond, no free, etc., etc., We are sinners in the eyes of God. And we all therefore need to see Jesus and His sacrifice for our sins on an individual basis. Recognize that we need Him in our lives and then turn our lives over to Him. I don't think they really enjoyed that really much when Jesus Christ said those words. Do you think? And to make matters worse, He digs the knife in just a little bit more. Because look at your text chapter 13 6 through 9. I'm not going to read the verses again, but Jesus Christ goes into a parable to make his point because he wanted them to believe that they were sinners and that as individuals they needed him in their lives. Luke 136 through9. He gives them a parable concerning the Jewish, the Jewish rebellion that was taking place. John, John chapter one actually tells us that he created mankind, that he came unto his own, but his own his own received them not. They rejected him. He wanted to nurture them like a hen does its chicks, but they refused, and they did not repent. And Jesus Christ essentially says, in the, "Let's consider the parable for a moment. The landowner is a reference to God the Father Himself. The vine dresser, the gardener, the farmer, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use, there is Jesus Christ Himself. And that fig tree represented Israel, and He was trying to lead them to Himself." so that they may experience the life, the abundant life that He came to promise all of mankind. But they rejected Him. But yet consider, Jesus Christ knew that He was being rejected for the most part, right? God the Father was, listen, just cut that thing down, get it over and done with. And Jesus no, 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 just give me one more opportunity. Let me dig around it. And if it doesn't produce any fruit next year, then maybe you can do something about it. But give them mercy. Just think, regardless of our condition, our disposition, right? In spite of the fact that we are sinners, and for the most part, we default to, to rebellion or running away from God, dismissing or denouncing all the things that pertain to God, in spite of that nature that we possess, Jesus still remains merciful today. Amen, somebody? He remains merciful. Throughout his lifetime, he gave the mercy Jesus did. But it was fulfilled nonetheless. The judgment of God, almost 40 years exactly after this one particular passage, Jerusalem, Israel, was destroyed. It was destroyed because they rebelled. How is this relevant to you and I today? Number one, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. In spite of the fact that society is the way that it is today, nothing has changed. The declaration that Jesus Christ made over their lives so long ago is the same declaration He makes over society today. We are all sinners and we need Him in our lives. He's expecting us to repent. Did you know that salvation is not possible without repentance? Salvation is not possible without repentance. Let me just skip through some of this stuff. Look at verse 3, chapter 13. It says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Why is it that we find repentance? so difficult and it is difficult, isn't it not? Why is it so difficult? When was the last time you stopped to think about that that one truth, that one reality? It, it seems basic like like I get it, I get it. I understand the importance of repentance. The reality is not everybody does. At least I may have this intellectual assent. I understand in my mind what repentance actually means. But do I truly know, have I truly appropriated its meaning in my life as a child of God? How many know that God has wonderful things in store for every single one of us? It's a fact. It's a fact that has nothing to do with the prosperity message. God has wonderful things in store for every single one of us. But repentance is at the heart of whether we receive it or not. It's a fact. It's just a fact. That's how I see it. Repentance means to turn around. To turn around. Somebody says, do a 360. I say, no, dude. It's a 180. We have to do a 180. We have to turn around. God has wonderful things in store for all of us. All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How about Romans 6.23? What's that say? For the wages or the reward or the penalty of sin is death. Now, is it talking about a physical death? It's included. It's included. But it's talking about eternal damnation. The reward of sin is eternal separation from God. Wow, I can't even fathom that. Are you kidding me? I can't even fathom that. I refuse that devil was a liar. How many of you like me, refuse? No, I'm not going back. I, I know the devil's a liar. I'm not going back. I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of my life. Point number two: Jesus paved the way. What a wonderful truth concerning his life. The greatest man who ever lived, the greatest human, the greatest person. Whoever lived, whoever walked the earth, he paved the way. Here in this one particular passage, we find out that his days were numbered. And that he was actually on his way to die on an old rugged cross. He was on his way to die. Yet even though he was rejected by most, he chose to die in their place. Just think of that. Jesus chose to die in our place. He was on his way to Jerusalem. The Samaritans just finished rejecting him. He sent his 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 disciples in to that one particular region so that preparations could be made, and Jesus Christ had to go another way. He changed his plans, and he set his mind toward Jerusalem. His focus was now different. His struggle was now different. Those close among him, when you read these particular chapters, you read read about this, this solemn mood that Jesus Christ was now in. Because he knows he's about to die. That child knows exactly what I'm talking about. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's an amen. I don't know about you. Those tongues, I can interpret it. I I know what he's saying. He's saying amen to that preacher. Amen. Jesus Christ is about to die, although he was rejected. Look at Hebrews. I want you to turn with me. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Just a few verses. I I want you to get this. Hebrews chapter 10. Say amen, amen when you find it. Hebrews 10. I'm waiting on you. I only heard four amens. There's a hundred people in here this morning. Irene said amen, Pastor. You got it? How about you, Angie? I don't see you, but I know you're in here somewhere she has got those nice tabs on her Bible now. She, she got offended. I offended her one day. She, you know, I'm never going to allow him to offend me like that again. I'm going to get some tabs on my Bible so I can just turn right to the book. <laughs> you say, you're not going to put me on blast like that ever again, dude. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at, look at verse 19. Verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that's the that's the emphasis by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water just think of it Just think of it. He's heading to Jerusalem. He meets with these Samaritans. They rejected him. He changes his focus. He's no longer performing the miracles that he once was. Just four are listed. He turns his focus. You know what? I'm just going to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach this thing. And over and over again from Luke 9... 51 through verse 29 of chapter 19, the emphasis is, those last three months of Jesus' life, the emphasis is repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, or you will all likewise perish. Repent, and receive me into your hearts and in your lives. You think that has changed? You think the message has changed? I mean, He came to open up a new and living way. He came to die on the cross for our sakes, in our place. We know that the Bible teaches that, that, that the wages or the reward, we cited it a few moments back. The penalty of being a sinner, that is, the penalty of rejecting Jesus, this side of heaven, is eternal damnation. We cannot enter heaven having rejected Jesus Christ. ...as the Lord and Savior. We just cannot. But that one particular passage... ...Hebrews 10... ...that one's for believers. That one's for believers. And the emphasis is... ...to go before God... ...full assurance of faith. No half-stepping. No playing around. Consider the things that pertain to God. Make them important. Make some sacrifices denounce some things, and live fully for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our victory this side of heaven depends upon it. It's biblical truth in the New Testament. If we as God's children want to experience the fullness of God, we have to live for Him without reservations. I want you to consider quickly, I'm almost done. I want you to consider a couple of things here. Hebrews chapter 10, the verses that we just finished reading, it emphasizes the benefits on the other side of repentance. With a show of hand, how many of you are experiencing a wonderful life? In spite of the fact that you're in debt, in spite of the fact that you've got physical issues, you, you, you have this wonderful life, as a result of knowing Jesus how many how many how many amen it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing those benefits are listed in the new testament over and over again and if you're writing down any notes write this verse down 1st corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 1st corinthians is not in my notes it's not going to be up in the board 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And Paul the Apostle, he takes the time to list four of the major doctrines in the New Testament. And when you do a simple search of those four doctrines, it's going to make the ultimate difference with regard to your perspective about Christianity. And the one thing that it mentions is justification. Justification. Actually, Justification. I get that from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Write that one down. It's about justification. And, and, and that's one of the benefits of knowing Jesus, this side of heaven. And justification is a beautiful word that means declared righteous. Declared righteous. When you come to the cross and you allow yourself to be confronted by Jesus Christ... And the reality of your sin. And you turn your heart and your life over to the Lord. And you accept Him into your life. He justifies you. Or He declares you righteous. He puts this amazing divine imprint on you, if you will. This stamp on you. He declares you righteous. You are now clean in His sight. And His righteousness becomes a fundamental part. Of our Christian experience. Declared righteous. Number two, sanctification. Um, Write this verse down. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. I love that passage. I love what Paul had to say to the Colossians. About being translated. Because that's what sanctification means. To be taken from here. Transplanted or translated. And be placed here. Jesus Christ, when you accept Him as Lord and Savior, He translates you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light on the other side. And what used to apply to you over there no longer applies over here. The impurity, the condemnation, the wrath of God, all those ugly things are no longer applied. Not when we're on this camp. It doesn't mean we're no longer sinful in the flesh. It doesn't mean we are incapable of doing wrong. How many perfect people are in the church here today? Today you did nothing wrong. No sin. Mm. Right? It's just not true. But we are not condemned by God any longer. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. One day we're going to preach on that. Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because that's a New Testament doctrine as well. Galatians chapter 6, 7, and 8. Put that one down on your notes. Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man plants, that shall he also reap. If he plants to his flesh, he shall reap corruption. But if he plants to his Spirit, he shall reap life everlasting. That Romans 8, the tail end of that verse with Galatians 6, 7, and 8, means the same thing. One of the other benefits is the fact that we've been redeemed. Redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Write that verse down. He redeemed us by His blood. Is what the Bible says over and over again. What does that mean? He settled the debt. He paid the price. He died in our place. He settled the debt. He made us righteous by satisfying the law. He has set us free from the curse of the law. Romans 5, 18-19. He set us free from the curse of the law. all of these wonderful things because of what Jesus Christ did think of that think of those last three months think about the intentions the purpose in his heart and on his mind read those passages again I challenge you 951 through 1929 his last three months on earth and consider his focus his directive. His intentions. He's about to die. And he's agonizing over it. And he's being persecuted on top of that. He's being rejected. And in 18, finally when they get a hold of him, 18 Jewish laws were violated when they tried them. Illegal trial. And he suffered and he died to offer us life. To offer us an abundant life. Where today, today, the one thing that's most taken for granted is the fact that He died on the cross for us. It's become a household cliché. We no longer see it with the substance that it truly possesses. He bled and died. He suffered an agonizing death. Could you die in a worse way than crucifixion? Can you imagine yourself hanging on the cross, pushing yourself up repeatedly just to get some air, and then relaxing because your tendons and your muscles, there's no more energy, there's no more strength. And so you relax down, and when you relax, now you now you can't breathe. You prop yourself back up so that you can breathe, and then you collapse over and over. That's what killed him, asphyxiation, a horrible death. When was the last time you experienced a Spasm on your back come on what was that you how many know what i'm talking about you get up in the morning you try to stretch the wrong way and you get you get this thing on your leg huh right you get this cramp on your leg now imagine your whole body like that imagine your whole body like that repeatedly until you die in that condition that's our jesus and then some joker comes along and going to thrust a spear in your side imagine that He died a horrible death. And the one element, i got to close. The one element that's closest to the gospel truth in the New Testament is the one element that those of us in the church today most take for granted. It's a fact. Repentance. We think because we did it once when we were children that we no longer have to do it today. I'm not talking about, I'm not touching on the issue of salvation. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about change. The change is necessary in our lives because we are children of God. And the repentance that makes it possible, the remorse over the things that we say wrong, we think wrong, the remorse over the things that we view on the internet, the things that are wrong and we know that are wrong, oh, it's happening. It's happening. I'm thankful that we serve a God of grace. Amen. That was a sigh of relief. You heard that, right? That was a sigh. I'm thankful for a God of grace and His mercy. In the passage that we read today, He was showing His people mercy in spite of their rebellion. He's doing it for you and I today as well. We serve a merciful God. Amen. We serve a merciful God who loves us unconditionally. But He wants us to change. You know that, right, people of God? He wants us to change. Just think of what we can do in this community called Norwalk if we rise up. If we rise up as one body of believers, knowing our place in the things that pertain to God, Getting ourselves right in every way. Not perfect, but getting ourselves right. Shaking off the inconsistencies, the sin that does so easily beset us. Imagine what God can do in our lives and in this community. Listen, that's my vision. That's my vision. I want to knock on every door in Norwalk. Because we have what they need. Amen. I want you to stand with me as we get ready to worship. Stand with me. With your heart of hearts, with your heart of hearts, I want you to worship the Lord today. And I want you to consider, if you don't know Jesus here today, if you came here today and you don't know this Jesus that I've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, we want to give you an opportunity to know Him today. Perhaps there's a believer here, somebody, perhaps, you've believed all along that you've known Jesus, but you heard something, something here today. Something that perhaps clicked on the inside of you. Maybe I just don't, maybe I don't know this Jesus as I thought I did. I want to give you an opportunity to know the Lord here today. Because it behooves us to leave here today knowing, knowing that our sins have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. It behooves us to know this Jesus. We have to leave here today knowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that one day we could all hear those wonderful words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I know there's got to be somebody here this morning who doesn't know this, Jesus. And I want to invite you out of your seat. If you don't know the Lord. And to come forward. I want to know this, Jesus. I want to know this, Jesus. I've been missing out. I know that He loves me. I know that He's merciful. And I know that he's, he's in this place and wants to make a difference in my life. Okay, so then we'll do it right where you are. If you don't know the Lord, repeat a prayer after me. In your heart, and you mean it. Say, Dear Jesus, today I know that I am a sinner And that you died for me on the cross. I give you my heart today. I open it wide, Jesus. And I'm inviting you to come into my heart. I'm inviting you to come into my life. Forgive my sin. All of my sin. And save my soul. I thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. And I thank you for saving me today. We pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Let us worship.
0: Anybody? Even if we got to fill up this altar with everybody, then so be it. Ah, Linda? Yeah. Anybody else? You have a sick mother, you have a sick father. Somebody's struggling. There. There's an appointment in the near future, there's a biopsy that's going to be done with anybody. Come on up, brother. There's no speeding in the house of God.
2: Keep going, Keep
0: going. Amen. How many know that this moment? Significant as any other part of the service at this moment right here. Do you think God does not care about the sick among us? How I many you know that God really cares? Amen. Amen. He really cares. God really cares. Is God capable of healing our physical bodies? Amen. We can't do it, but God can. And we're just going to believe. Can we just believe as a church that God can? In our lives. Can we believe Alright, amen. Do we have all the other here? Definitely.
2: the Oh, he's here. He said
0: he was Easier than Easier than than the first one on the stage. Let's pray. Can, can you extend your hands this way, please? Extend your hands. So, I'm going to start. And you're going to go. each one of the elders who's going to pray. Amen. Father, we thank you. Father we thank you this morning. We trust in you today, Father. We, we we trust in you with our hearts. Father, I give you my heart. I repent, Father. I give you my heart. I give you my soul, my life. Everything that belongs to you. We give you our heart, Father. We give you our lives here today. And we stand here before your altar, Father God, and we ask you for your people, Father God, and for the people that we are standing up here for, like that, and the many others, Father God, who are just not well today, they are sick, and you you tell us in your word that we should get the elders together, Father, and that we should pray. A prayer of faith. And so we believe here today, Lord God, that you can and that you will make the physical difference in our lives, just as you have, by saving our souls. Father, I believe you died for healing, just like you died for our sins. And so we pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for Beth, Father. We pray for Linda. We pray for this gentleman. I don't know his name. who's was on his wheelchair, Father God. We pray for Joyce, Father God, who struggling with, with cancer. We pray, Father God, for little Henry and little Henry is sick and for the family that's represented there. We pray for my sister here, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray for Nancy's parents, Lord God. We know that her mother is struggling, Father. We pray for all those that are represented here. And for those who are still standing behind you, sitting behind me, Father, but but wish to be up here. We pray, Father God, that you may be healing our physical bodies. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.
3: Father God, we just come before you knowing that physically we cannot cause people to. Jesus walked this earth, Father, and anybody that made their way through the crowds to him, then ask Jesus if you are willing, please heal me. Jesus, you always said that you are willing. I bring up our brother Ben before you, Father God. I pray that you'll provide healing for him. The splendid Father. Thank you so much for her Bible for this joy Just pray that you will bless yourself we give them into your hands in your time and in your life we ask that you will give them spiritually, physically, financially emotionally however we will be loving your kindness in Jesus God we serve a mighty God That
2: we are so grateful that you are here
3: in our presence God, thankful that you you are concerned with our hurts. God, you're concerned with our brokenness. God, you're concerned with the pain that our bodies feel. God, you know each family that's represented here, each individual. God, you know what they're going through. You know the sickness. God, you know the pain. And so, God, we pray that you would intervene in each life. God, that you would bring about healing because you're the only one that can do it. So, God, we we call upon your name right now. and I also think those who are spiritually... Spiritually broken, spiritually lost. God, that may be here this morning. God, you don't give up on us. So, God, we ask that you would bring spiritual healing to them. God, that they wouldn't leave this place without understanding repentance and without understanding the grace of God. So, God, when your spirit would just fall upon us this morning, God, we pray this morning. Father God, I just want to thank you for that. When you make a promise, you keep a promise. Unlike us, we
2: will start at home, but you're always there. You're always there to hold us up. So, Lord, we just pray that all of these prayers, all these petitions, uh, are just a message that you're speaking your ears, and that you answer them. And it works to you.
1: Father, you see us laid before your feet, Father God, knowing full well that we're not here to be healed, Father God. We're here to just pay praise and honor to you, Father God, knowing full well that we long for the relationship with you, Father, to draw closer to you as you want to draw closer to us, Father God. Lord, we love you same way. You love us, Father God. You love us so much, Father. Lord, the lives that are represented here, the families that are represented here, Father God, we come before you, Father. Just ask me, Lord, that you lay your hands upon our lives, upon our hearts, upon our minds, Father God, so that your light, your light can shine in our lives, Father God. So that your joy can take over our lives, Father God. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about contentment. I'm talking about your joy, Father. Lord, you bless your name, Father God. And if it is your will to be have our physical bodies healed, Father God, so be it. But if it's not your timing, Father God, then we glorify in you, Father God, knowing full well that you are in control of our lives, Father God. And nothing, nothing moves without your word being said. Lord, we find hope in you. We find peace in you, Father God. We find your love. We find your redemption in you, Father God. We bless your name today, Father God. We thank you. Because more importantly, you have taken our hearts in your hands, Father God. And you have redeemed it to be yours, Father. Lord, we thank you, Father God. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and knowing full well that it is through your blood That we can today say,
0: Amen. 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 So, let's just pray. Let's just close. Father, thank you so much. It's 1230. Father, thank you so much for this service. Thank you for this time. We love you, Father. We praise your holy name. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Amen. Before you go, make sure you say hello to Miss Julie right here. Don't let her get away. Somebody get her. Get a phone number. Get an address. Get something from her. Amen.